Really True Fiction is a podcast exploring famous stories to discover the wisdoms, lessons, insights, and ideas therein. Be advised that there will be heavy spoilers for whatever story we are discussing in this episode, as well as potential spoilers for other stories. Check episode notes or social media posts for additional spoilers. Please note that this podcast contains so many bad words and so many crude observations. If this is not your jam, please don't bring the toast. Welcome to another episode of Really True Fiction. This is David Parker. My name's Luke Mason. Uh, Luke, uh, when was the last time you fell in love? <laughs> last time I fell in love, probably 2013. Okay, I so think it's been a little while. Time. Yeah, it's been a little while since I've been in love. I have been in like a few times since then. Yep, you could say, yep, but not not full blown love. Well, that was probably the last time I knew a girl. I was, well, there was enough scenario in place where it was a potential that it could happen, right? And right. I and I liked her, you know, that kind of thing. It's a funny thing how that how love just develops, eh? Like it, a lot of it is proximity. Well, yeah, and I would say also I've had similar interests in girls that I feel like could have could be love, but they're just not appropriate right you can't, um, you can't have those feelings right now there's because... just not people who are in a situation where it's uh, it, the the reciprocity is just not able to be there yes for fair. one reason or another fair we've all uh we've all been there i guess <laughs> my question to you is david what color is your favorite valentine <laughs> if you had to choose a color for your valentine Ooh, you know Pretty conservative, so probably just red. You know, I don't really want a blue or a black one. Or <laughs> I like basic love. What about know? what about a pink one? Would that be okay? I still like red. What if it was layered? But it, red and red and pink. Yeah, with some yeah, white in I, there I, too. I could like get behind just a layered. So not no one. not a fuchsia Valentine. No, or, or like purple. Aquamarine. Not really a purple guy. Well, how about a blue Valentine, David? <laughs> Well, I it's quite a good movie, Luke. Funny you should mention it. <laughs> so yeah, we're uh today we're going to talk about the movie Blue Valentine. Yeah. Starring Ryan Gosling and Michelle Williams. Michelle Williams and directed by Derek. It's a conglomerate of directors. Uh, well, it was right? written by Derek C in France, Joey Curtis, and Cami Delavine, I hope I'm saying that name right. And then those, so those three people wrote it, and then Derek C. in France, one of the writers, also directed it, and it was released in 2010. Well, you can definitely tell that um, Ryan Gosling and Michelle Williams really enjoyed these roles and, like, and they, poured themselves. They into helped it. produce it. Yes, like the two of them helped produce the movie, uh, so being that, more famous, I think, than yeah. anyone else involved. In the yeah, film. definitely. And from the Wikipedia article that I read today, originally this movie was going to get an NC-17 rating, which is even higher, like a, a more restricted rating than R, for the Cunnilingus scene. That that was the, what they that was, was gonna, the that reason was, was going to push yeah. it over the top. Eh? Yeah. Mm. Well, 
but then it was apparently brought back down to rated R because Ryan Gosling especially petitioned against it being NC-17, citing the hypocrisy of how many blowjob scenes you can have in movies. Where ah. So like if a woman is going down on a man... And, and that can still be R And that can still be rated R. Oh my. I mean, because obviously nothing... I think nothing, Ryan Gosling was right on this one then. Yeah, well, because, I mean, in... Well, also in Blue Valentine, but lots of other movies where oral sex is depicted, it's not like... It's graphic. No, right? it's no, not. It's not pornography. Not. Yeah. You're not. You're not getting uh, P and M or V and M. You're not getting close up yeah. visuals here. Yeah, exactly. Right. It's, so it's to convey a idea or a point usually. Yeah, and so then when it was stipulated that and and like an NC seventeen rating is just going to make it a lot. There's just a lot more restricted in what theaters you can be released in and that kind of thing. So it was really that rating stood to really make it difficult for the movie to make money and get known. And so uh, I'm sure other people involved, but Gosling most uh, prominently was like, well, <laughs> this is hi- hypocritical. Hypocr- yeah. This is total hypocrisy, right? If it was me going down on her in the movie, you'd have no problem. Just or her going down on him. Yeah, her yes. going down on him, right. then it's totally fine. But, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I guess. Uh, so I guess the rating agencies are a little sexist. Yeah. And I guess I guess you could say Ryan Gosling is a cunning linguist in oh. his ability to argue his oh. point. <laughs> All right. Sorry. On that note. Sorry if I've given you too much lip. <laughs> well, this is just going to never stop. <laughs> the, well, the tongue is the strongest muscle on my body. Anyway, so right. why don't you so tell us about I'm Blue gonna, Valentine? I'm going to go through a really short plot synopsis because I don't actually think the plot is really... That important or exists even or, yeah it's it's pretty uh it's all over the place right it's uh, actually similar to American History X in that you've got the past and the present interacting with each other on the screen and lots of other movies yeah too, right true like, it's a pretty common it's a common trope storytelling technique to give us drips and drabs of the present and the past so that something you see in the present but early in the movie makes more sense and than, and yeah. takes on greater significance yes once. You think about it based on something later in the movie, but earlier in the timeline. True, true. Yes, it is. And that happens pretty, there's a pretty intense part of this movie that 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 is indicative of that kind of storytelling technique. Uh, So we are introduced to Ryan Gosling's character, Dean, at the beginning of the movie. And he has a few little um, monologues about love and relationships. And he's obviously a a young man who doesn't have a lot of... potential before him doesn't have a lot of or maybe he has a lot of potential but he doesn't have a lot of avenues open to him we see this interview with him and um and uh the owner of this moving company basically asking him if he has any experience or and he doesn't have any experience it seems but he gets this job so he's making money which is obviously portrayed as a you know a thing of pride for him and then he runs into a michelle williams character cindy uh, and through a series of events, kind of woos her and convinces her to marry him. And then this is all interspersed with the present, where we see their relationship falling apart. Their treatment of each other is very um, snaps, like they're very short with one another. And we also see um, just the the desire to make it work, uh, particularly from Dean's perspective and also from cindy's you see it in, and we can talk about that more later but the inability for either of them to seemingly 
get back to where they were with one another in, in more of a loving relationship. But we also see Dean's like incredible love for their daughter, Frankie, and um, and that he's a good father and that he cares a lot about her. And so I think one of the things I like most... So anyway, throughout the course of the movie, we basically watch a, a slow train wreck of this relationship like the, at the very end falling apart Uh, all the while interspersed with this kind of really beautiful genesis yeah of how they ended up together in the first place and there's a really nice narrative symmetry going on where in the present day as things are getting worse and worse in the past things are getting better Better and and better better. yeah and so you're you know there's just a there's obviously an element of parallel tragedy there that's a really nice play by the storytellers yeah and i think uh the the last scene in the movie is is a incredibly impactful scene i'd never seen anything when i first saw this movie i'd never really seen anything that impacted me that much on an emotional level in a, in a film about a relationship but with him walking away the fireworks going off and cindy carrying their daughter frankie away and she's kind of crying and he's just walking away and it, yeah it's just brutally painful on an emotional level (laughs) yeah the ending of the movie is what 95 percent sad five percent hopeful yeah like there's this maybe smallest chance that something could happen but you're just like and you've also just witnessed as you said it's interspersed you've just witnessed them getting married and the tears and of happiness and like six years later this is blown to shreds is it only six years yeah that's it yeah because she's pregnant with frankie right when they get married yeah and frankie's six in the movie right it feels a lot longer than that just by looking at their appearance they do seem to have <laughs> aged rather aggressively <laughs> well <laughs> particularly what... dean right yeah. i mean yeah. but like i think when people start losing their hair at least i've seen this with my friends it goes rather rapidly like... yeah <laughs> well it is pretty funny too because present day dean is he's not like overweight or schlubby but he's definitely like lost a lot of his hair and he's wearing these kind of unattractive glasses and he just kind of looks as opposed to present day or like past dean what we're seeing like at the beginning of the relationship and he's like i guess the archetype of ryan gosling yeah. right like this yeah. full thick wavy hair and just like, like a little bit of scruff, <laughs> scruff like the yeah. the him at his sex symboliest basically right it is, it's very and interesting so that yeah. only six years and he's like i guess he's just let himself go he's just so gone to see right and well like the thing he is, needs a better he needs a better eye doctor to <laughs> prescribe him well you, well you look at like even his arms and they're still covered in paint because he's obviously a painter now yeah and it's like but but apparently he starts drinking at the very beginning of the day yes he's a he's definitely an alcoholic oh for sure yeah yeah, yeah. and um like you said, the the plot is like in present day, the plot takes place over like a 24 hour period or a little bit longer, yeah. you know, like not much though. It's just like a day and a bit. Whereas the past, it's like the whole kind of how they meet up to their wedding yeah, kind of thing. So the courtship basically. And, and it's obviously happening over a course of only a few months. Yeah. Because um, from, from when they meet to when they get married. Yeah. Because she's pregnant Almost at the begin before she ever meets Dean, yeah, she's basically been impregnated, and then With- they get married <laughs> when she's first first major plot twist impregnated with somebody else's baby, yeah, not Dean's, which 
I think plays a huge role in uh, oh. <laughs> in the the painfulness of this whole situation. Yeah, it turns out cuckoldery. Yeah, cuckoldery. Yeah, that kind of thing actually has a very deep impact on human relationships. Yeah, yeah, is very meaningful to me. Cause problems. Yeah. So, what was you, what were your initial well, thoughts about Dean? So, like, I first saw this movie like probably around when it came out like 2010, 2011 probably would have been when I watched it the first time. And I remember thinking like, wow, this is a really well-acted movie. The uh, performances of um, Ryan Gosling and Michelle Williams are incredible. I mean, they were, I think they were both nominated for a Golden Globe. And I think Michelle Williams was also nominated for an Academy Award. Yeah, I think well. Best Actress yeah. or something. Yeah, yeah, I think so, yeah. And I don't, I don't think any of them, either of them won, but they were incredible. And the first scene of the like the way that they're setting the stage for Dean's character in the present day is his kind of um, hands-on approach to fatherhood, <laughs> where he's totally playing with Frankie. Right? They've got one of those kind of like electric, like portable electric keyboards that, that sounds, you blow in or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah and it sounds like just right? like it's not a beautiful sound or anything. <laughs> but Frankie's really enjoying it, so he's playing with it. And so, and like, he's like, okay, we're going to eat our Cheerios like a leopard, right? <laughs> or, some, or some animal. I think yeah, it's a leopard, yeah. right? And so it's like, it's really impractical. And so you're getting this picture of him as a dad, but like he's interacting with Frankie at the breakfast table while Cindy, Michelle Williams' character, is like trying to get the day started, right? So she's like, I don't know, packing lunch, getting things ready, getting things organized, making sure everyone has what they need. So she's kind of like on business mode, like get business of the day mode. And he's just like on goofball mode with the kid. And like, it's, it's kind of like an interesting setup of like a dichotomy. It's almost like Dean can't do both. Like he either has to be fun dad and get on Cindy's nerves, or he has to help Cindy out and, not be fun dad with well, Frankie. And, and it's interesting because like at the very beginning of the movie you see kind of this annoyed side to Cindy. Like because you haven't actually seen their relationship starting or whatever at the beginning. It's it's just them interacting. And she just seems kind of annoyed by him, doesn't like and sometimes I wonder is or I wonder when I watch this is like do men sometimes become goofy when they feel like a woman's withdrawing like they're, they're trying to bring them back in, trying to make them laugh there's that great scene at the very end of um before midnight where um the ethan hawks character comes out to talk to this woman that he's you know been in love with for 20 years and she's just so angry and they've had, they've had a blowout fight and he like he's trying to get her to laugh right and i think I think there's some truth to that where when men feel most vulnerable, like love's being taken away from them, they, they can get goofier and, and more childish because they're trying to trying to win back that way. They, and we see this in the movie. Initially, he won her by being silly. Yeah. So I think part of what he's trying to do is is get her to laugh. And get yeah, that's to... interesting. So you're, you think that he's like kind of calculated a bit at the breakfast table playing with Frankie where he's maybe trying to uh, tap into a, a deeper psychology of Cindy where she's like, oh my gosh, he's funny and he's entertaining our child and that's kind of at a base level what I want out of a mate. Well, so even, maybe our problems aren't that bad. <laughs> well, even like when they jump in the bed to like wake her up and he brings Frankie to wake her up, obviously he's trying to be funny and 
and make her laugh. She's just not having any of it. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a practice, like, and then he doesn't take the practical steps because, you know, he's not feeling affection or any sort of connection. But also, maybe if he was actually helping with the basic chores, the things she knew that needed to get done to get out the door, right? that might actually be more of what she needed from him in that moment than him being funny. Yeah, and... Yeah. <laughs> we'll talk about this a lot more later, but they definitely seem out of sync in their... Oh, for sure. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> in their communication and interactions, right? And yet... And that... And, like, bef- the only thing he really does before Cindy wakes up is call for their dog. <laughs> like, yeah. Trying to, like, try he's to not find getting anything is. ready. Yeah. It's true. Like, there, you don't... There's no scene at the beginning where Dean is doing, like, a couple little things... To be helpful. To yeah. be helpful. to Like, maybe, like, set the table for breakfast. Maybe he already and, feeds Frankie before she has to wake up. Like, yeah. who knows? Right? Yeah, like, like, yeah, we don't know the dynamics in total. But, like, maybe you make sure all the dishes are taken out of the dishwasher, right? Or, like, if you, especially if you're up a little bit earlier kind of thing. And it does seem like that would have been the kind of thing that Cindy would have appreciated. Definitely a lot more than on the piano and then eat him like a leopard yeah you know which is just <laughs> getting like, her face his daughter's face covered in cheerios and yeah just before food, they have yeah. to go out kind exactly of thing. yeah and then the next thing though i noticed is that he he's got like he still very much cares for cindy he's like please put your seatbelt on yeah <laughs> yeah know, he like, like he, really wants her to put her seatbelt on and then gets really mad when that guy comes flying down the road right? yeah 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 there's a yeah somebody drive down the road really fast and He's like a classic example of a best of intentions, kind of worst of output. Yeah, <laughs> like, that was a, that was something I was thinking too. Like something gets totally lost in his um, processing but I, of I, what he's trying to do, and then his like outward. Oh, I actually did the worst thing I could for you right now. Well, and he's always there's this weird tension that he seems to be experiencing where. He obviously does love Cindy and he loves Frankie, but then anytime Cindy will say anything, he'll kind of twist it, mm-hmm. right? Or or he'll well, they criticize both do that. Her. I yeah, think. they both but they both twist each other's words into a more cynical or uncharitable interpretation. But yeah, I, I think Dean probably does it a little bit more, and and like and he's critical. Just like he seems to be very critical of her. In a way that's just not helpful to her sense of well-being, I think. Like, it's it's interesting that while he's always saying he loves her, his actions towards her. Mm, and there's yes. that line she uses repeatedly, which is like, look how we treat each other. Yeah, yeah. Like, near the end of the movie, Cindy says to Dean, I don't want our daughter to grow up in a house where her parents treat each other like this. Yeah, and that's and it's devastating to mm-hmm. Dean. Like, he he's overcome with emotion but it shouldn't be that surprising to him, considering (laughs) we've just watched a whole movie of them being horrible to each other even when they're trying to be loving yeah you know like Like, even in their all they're like can't even be loving to one another it seems at this point like they've fallen into this place where both are so hurt by the other that no matter what the other does yeah misinterpreted and 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 not just missing subtle cues to help Dean does it like I'm talking about Dean now. He doesn't just miss like a subtle cue to help Cindy. He misses a like an unbelievably obvious one. So again, near the beginning, we talked about how he was calling for the dog. Later on in the opening couple twenty minutes of the movie, 
Cindy's driving by and she sees their dog lying dead on the side of the road, right? So obviously the dog got out, car hit it, you know, it's very sad, right? Like this is a traumatic experience for the family. And they're at like a recital or something. Yeah, it's I can't like, a, like a kid's play or yeah, something. Yeah, their daughter's a in a musical. A, or... Yeah, exactly. And Cindy sits down beside Dean and she kind of whispers to him that she found Megan, their dog, dead by the side of the road. And his first response to her is, how many times did I tell you to lock the fucking uh. gate? I right? know it's such and a so, moment where you're like, "How could you do that in this moment?" Like, yeah. blame her? Yeah. Like, oh you know, yeah, yeah, it's all blame, right? And so I'm just like, he's got no emotional intelligence here because clearly in this moment, Cindy is hurt and sad and just needs comfort because a, like a member of their family, their dog is no more, and they have to <laughs> they have to deal with their own feelings about that. Plus, figure out a way to tell their five or six year old daughter and. Instead of like, oh my gosh, I can't believe that. Or, oh, Cindy, I'm so sorry. Like, how can I, you know, like even just an arm around the shoulder or a kiss on the forehead or something. Like just like those tiny little things you can do to a romantic partner to just kind of reassure them that you're with them in whatever kind of shitty thing that they're in. Even if it, even if it's not directly affects them which it does in this case because it's also dean's dog and this is like what original or beginning relationship dean would have done this is the dean she fell in love with would have done that he just responds with how many times have i told you to lock the fucking gate which is again just another great setup to like how what has happened to this relationship well, and that's that they the are thing, so off with each other well that's the thing you don't see yeah um like we don't know why that everything fell apart but i think there are some hints and clues that i think are essential to understanding why relationships fall apart there's the conversation that she has with dean where she's like you're so good at so many things why why don't you pursue anything yeah like, you're not meeting your why, potential yeah you why aren't you like interested in anything else and i think one of the big flaws that people get into is they make their relationship their whole life yeah and that's what dean's done and he even says that he's like all I want to be is a husband to you and a dad to Frankie. And it's like, why should I want any more than that kind of thing? Yeah. Is and he, that and not he, good enough for you? And he tries you? to turn it on her and be like, look, I gave up everything that I want to, which like, what did he actually have? Well, yeah. I mean, up? like the, all of their behavior with each, well, especially Dean's behavior is it's kind of weirdly passive aggressive and how like in the present day, he kind of on a whim gets this like romantic getaway hotel and she's not really into it, but she's going to go because he's her husband. And she just, I don't know, like she kind of like throughout most of it, Cindy's pretty restrained, you know, and she just kind of wants to keep the peace. I think a lot of the time. So she's like, okay, well, you know what? We haven't hung out together for a while. We can go up, get drunk, maybe get laid kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Like we can hang out and you know what? Yeah. You're my husband. I do enjoy your company sometimes. So sure. Let's go. And they have that conversation that you brought up, which is so perfect about how, like, it is It is hard. It does strike a nerve when you feel like your partner is like, so why aren't you meeting your potential kind of thing? <laughs> well, and I think really it comes down to, like, being interested in things. Like, you want to be with someone who has things going on in their lives and is, like, doing things and, and, and producing something. Like... I think a big mistake that people make is they just think they figure at a certain age, they just stop living. Yeah. And like, that's not exciting to be in a relationship with someone who's just not doing anything. Well, that seems to be what Dean is like. I know. And <laughs> so like going back to what I was saying about, there seems to be some indications of what's gone wrong. 
I think the one of the big ones is that Dean has just given up on life. It's like, he, I think some men, and I don't want to like stereotype, but I think some men, once they get in a relationship, they've kind of got what they, you know, people say that men are often, you know, striving to get recognized by women, right? And then hmm. once they get in the relationship and they're married, then when they have them, you know, they gain a lot of weight. They stop, you know, doing a lot of the hobbies that they had. They can't, they're kind of like, oh, I've got what I want. But on then, cruise control? Yeah, they're on cruise control, but like going downhill, right? And suddenly, you know, they, the, the wife wakes up one morning. It's like, this is not the man that I fell in love with. Yeah. And who knows the the reasons that, these men give up on their lives but i think a an important thing to remember is you gotta have other interests outside of your relationship yeah we don't really see him pursuing anything anything outside i mean and it's, i mean uh, we don't really see her pursue a lot either because not like a lot of time to see it other than she's pretty invested in her job mm-hmm. and interested in that whereas he's not like he <laughs> i think he's got a, f- a funny line i can't remember exactly what it is it's like i have a job where i get to start drinking at eight o'clock in the morning how great is that i know and he's, he's he's and he's turning it on her to be like oh you're silly for thinking that's not cool yeah but it's not cool to be an alcoholic dean and like <laughs> yeah no it's true it's true it's i guess what kind of surprised me about the question that she posed to him like don't you feel like you're not meeting your potential is how did it happen that this hasn't come up before or like this hasn't been kind of a more ongoing thing where because it, when she asks it, it kind of seems to Dean like, uh, or it seems to me that Dean is reacting in a way like, where the hell is this coming from? Like, why are you, why are you ragging on me? Like, why are you doing that? And as opposed to like, have you guys really not talked about things Dean's doing for the last six years? And it's just repressed and repressed and repressed. Then all of a sudden it comes out. Like, I guess that's possible. Well, I think part of it is that the dynamics of the relationship, which is like, she probably feels bad for criticizing him at all because of what a great guy he was and, you know, sacrificing so much to be with her. Totally. Well, we should like, so some of the things that set it up as him as a great guy is in the past, he was working for that moving company, like you said, and they're moving this kind of elderly man. I guess he was a soldier. Is that what? Yeah. Well, he's definitely had a unit. Yeah. I think he was a soldier. Yeah. So he was a, probably a world war ii vet or something like that like he looked old enough to be a world war ii vet and he had to move to a retirement home or something like that and so dean's company was responsible for moving it but because it was like he had so much kind of intimate stuff dean and a couple other guys but dean mostly set it all up in his room and made it all look nice so that when the guy moved in he didn't have to do any of the setup this guy's old and probably wouldn't have been able to set up all this stuff and look at it and he he does something where he's like really trying to make it special for the guy like he shows him a picture or asks him about a picture or he asks him about his wife yeah right there's a picture of him and his wife and he's like oh she's a she's a real looker like he's he's definitely like (laughs) when it comes to customer service and personal relations he's going above and beyond what like a frontline moving (laughs) worker would be like for this guy he cares about this guy Yeah, yeah he seems to care about him and like that's kind of us as the audience that's our in to seeing dean as a good guy with a really good heart right like there's nothing particularly financial he stands to gain from being extra nice to this guy but it's just like it it appears that all of the knickknacks and pictures and aesthetic of this guy's 
the wartime stuff and old timey stuff it make is making an impression on Dean where he's like, Oh man, I actually have a lot of reverence for this guy and his life so that I'm going to, you know, be extra careful mm-hmm. with his stuff. And it's in this retirement home that Cindy's grandma is in. Right? Which is how he first runs Which into Which is how Cindy. he first runs into Cindy. And I actually made, uh, there was something about this entire scenario that was really, it made me think about something I hadn't really thought about before that I wanted to bring up with you. So he goes there the first time, he runs into Cindy, you know, they have a little quick flirtatious chat. He's more flirtatious than her. She's kind of guarded, but not repelling him or anything kind of thing. She's being polite, but also like a little bit interested. She seems a little bit interested in what he's saying. So he's like, oh man, well, the only way I can <laughs> find this girl is to go back and ask his her grandmother about her, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And he tra- like he travels back to the retirement home. The only reason he's going back is to find out about Cindy. Like he wants to ask her grandma about her, but he brings something for the old guy. I can't remember what it is. He's got it's a locket with right. Picture. Yeah, he's yeah, got the yeah. locket, right? But really, he wants to find out more. And I just I, I made a note about this because it struck me as funny. He's like, th- there's all this pretense. Like as he can't he can't just go back to ask about Cindy, right? He needs to have a like reason a, to like be a there. reason, a cover story. Oh, I got this locket, and I just kind of wrote down like, why can't the reason just ostensibly be, hey, I wanted to ask about her like is it perceived as more creepy i think or more I think strange that, that's probably it and even actually when they're on the bus right because he runs into her on the bus going back yes and but it's but he it's, sees her yeah. and he sits down beside her and then he's like i was just visiting your grandma and she gets this look on her face like yeah. wow you're really creepy and he's like oh no i wasn't there <laughs> and so he kind of was preparing for that yeah right? he's, like, he's got like an excuse <laughs> right like no i was just trying to return this locket to this guy but yet like it's so funny here's here's the cognitive disjunct i think that exists in people like just in the human psychology is that in retrospect it becomes perfectly obvious to everyone involved that he wasn't going to return the locket so it's not like although although he does find the locket and then he he gets this like light bulb sure yeah maybe it's the eureka moment like or maybe it's like i can use this yes yeah but down the road no one, and certainly not Cindy, is like, oh, yeah, what a lucky accident. Like, obviously, he <laughs> yeah, was, it was like, so no one is yeah. fooled, right? right? This is what I'm right. saying. Even though the story's there, it's a shared fiction with everyone, and no one is fooled. But because he has this kind of pretense that isn't the reason he's going, it's, like, not weird. But even though no one is fooled. Right. It's like there's a cognitive dissonance there. And it's like, it's this retrospective thing where because once you get to know someone and you learn way more about their character and their style, and then retrospectively look back, you can attribute all of the subsequent character you've learned about that person to the initial action, which you can't do right away. All you kind of kind of have is your more instant reaction to reaction thing, to yeah. like what are you doing are you stalking me like who, well i think who that's... are you kind of thing i don't know like to me that particular scene illuminated a really interesting part of how maybe we retroactively color our memories based on interim knowledge gained about a person oh i right? see what you're saying whereas like maybe a couple years after cindy and dean are married Cindy has a oh what a what a like at some point it's almost charming that that's what he's doing right but that's not something she would have ever thought 
or could have like at the time or like anyone could like oh you traveled <laughs> many many hours to this retirement home so you could ask my grandma about me <laughs> right yeah like uh, please don't murder me <laughs> well that's what i as opposed to like a really chivalrous and charming thing to do once you know them better well i think that's the hard part i've obviously never experienced it myself but having talked to a lot of my friends about this mm-hmm. being a woman you're always on guard because like at least I don't know about you, Luke. Who's the like, next killer? People aren't regularly hitting on me all the time and like trying to get my number and sending me repeated messages with no response on Facebook or, or like the list goes on. Of the, the women are well, the only constantly harassed by men. The only women <laughs> who ever try to do that to me are um, just the bots, right? Yes. <laughs> on the on the site, and they're always messaging you. Yeah, like. you're like you see this picture of this like kind of fifteen out of ten. <laughs> girl be like baby i want you so bad it's like yeah, you're probably pretty real yeah i believe it yeah and but, so yes no. so like i mean it, right. it goes back to sexual power dynamics right and in, in that in this instance in this instance but yeah. i think it's something that women at least that i've talked to or, or read about online go through all the time like i remember the first time i was walking with a girlfriend at the time and someone actually like cat called out of a vehicle i'd never seen this in person before (laughs) in my life right and i was like holy shit and i was really upset and she's like oh whenever you're not with me that happens all the time Mm -hmm. and i was like wow i do not understand the female experience but i think understanding in a sense dean understood that he couldn't just go there and ask yeah i guess because i think if, if he was to immediately then say say oh i was talking to your grandma her guards would be up huge yeah right? like true. she'd be like uh-oh another one here here they come right because this is probably not the first time she's an attractive girl this is not the first time someone has like tried to find out where she lives or yeah but it's also strange because this yeah you're you're probably right like that's yeah like uh, wow okay <laughs> if yes all the games that men and women play with each other to figure out if they want to be around this person or not right yeah and i, I think yeah that's, and yeah dean's dean's, dean's playing the no, game right? yeah dean's no no fool in that scenario either but also his reason is so flaky like oh you traveled how many hours oh, i don't know it's like just a return a locket four or five hours on a bus return a locket to someone you don't know oh you just happen to also talk to my grandma asking you about me <laughs> like the the depth of no his cover human... story is very very flimsy yeah the, the depth saying, of human yeah. attraction seems a lot more likely than your uh, altruistic impulses to return this locket to this guy True. <laughs> regardless of how nice you were before so, so but but i just I like it's an interesting meditation to me on what would a world is a world possible what would a world look like where you don't need that pretense not not even just for romantic things like here i'm i'm going to wherever because this is what i want yeah (laughs) you know like um not having to veil our intentions in something that is so obviously not true to anyone with half a brain but plausible deniability gives you the out if you are called on it by i don't know some idiot or something it's like i don't know It, it, it could be anything like it's just an interesting double step i've heard i've heard this said i don't know if you've heard it before that uh white lies are the lubricant that you know helps humanity socially get along like I otherwise so. we would we would just tear each other to pieces if we were brutally yeah honest i mean i guess like i i get the kind of folk wisdom in that type of statement but i guess i just would 
be like my intuition says why like i don't i don't think it would be any worse if we those were shed maybe dean could go and be like hey visit grandma hey like hi i i had a crush on your granddaughter and it's totally fine if you want don't want to tell me anything but i think she's really great and i'd love to have her number to ask her out on a date kind of thing and then right. maybe he sees her on the bus and he says look i came to visit your grandmother because last time i saw you i thought you were really pretty and really cool and i enjoyed talking to you and it's totally fine if you're not interested but the reason i'm here is to try and get your number so i could give you a call and ask you on a date yeah you know? and like that is maybe a little too on the nose for that dance and game that men and women do or you know potential romantic partners do with each other but i don't know like i I would, and I'm pro- almost certainly in a minority of people in here, but if a girl came up to me for whatever reason and said, hey, last time we talked, I really enjoyed it. I'd love your number so we could hang out sometime because I'm interested in you potentially romantically. I would respond really well to that approach, I think. And I think that there's probably a lot of people in the world who would. That's, as opposed that's to, interesting. because As think... opposed to a girl who had a big rigmarole. Right, right. Well, I mean, this is all hypothetical because it's yeah. not like there'd be any girl in either scenario. <laughs> However, in the imaginary world where this would happen, or if you are going to do the veiled approach, just don't pretend. Make it harder to see through. Yes. <laughs> like, do yes. a better job. Well, maybe, of maybe, being maybe part of it is this. Fake. I guess. This, so, going, going into this, though, I think this is an interesting problem that the internet seems to have like the friend zone, right? right? But I'm a big proponent of being friends with someone before you date them necessarily. Sure. Uh, because I think part of, of that is you, you're going to know each other. You're going to, it's going to become clear whether you guys are interested in each other by building this friendship. And if you're not like, don't fall in love with every girl that's nice to you. Like, you know what I mean? Like <laughs> that happens to guys. It's like, stop. Yeah. Like, you need women in your life, not just for romantic purposes or, you know, whatever urges you have you because they're humans and they're awesome to hang out with and they make good friends. Right. And I think part of the problem that we see in that scene that you described is that women are so often used to men just wanting one thing from them. Right. That if it was two guys striking up a friendship, it would be completely different. But like women well, have their guards up, right? I suppose so. But then I guess that's why I added the qualifier of Dean saying it's totally fine if you're not into this. No, no. And or I, like I, it I probably think, happens to you all the time. Like it's it's not a dickhead approach, but it's an honest one. Yeah. Right? And, and I, I think... Maybe I, that's a thinner thinner road than I think it is. But I think it's manageable. Well, I think manageable. you'd probably just end up being rejected a lot. Like, sure, maybe. And, and that that's fine. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But um, but then well maybe very, I, maybe it's very you know it's it's an immediate choice that you're giving someone I su- yeah I suppose that's true but I guess I would maybe this is just my psychology but in the long run I think I would appreciate more someone who liked that approach as well right because right. because I think then I. As time went on, I would have more reason to think they were saying what they really thought. There'd be a trust level. Yeah, well, the tr- would, like the know. trust is just further upstream from wherever we're at, and it's not. It, I don't know. It's hard to really kind of articulate in that. Just that in that, if I were Cindy, found out that Dean had this whole rigmarole just to see me, I might think that's charming. But then I'm also like, 
that would put me a little bit suspicious of his other actions because I don't know which ones are maybe really him or authentic, which ones he's affecting for the next little thing he's trying to be closer to me on. Which we actually see, which we actually see become a problem because we're never really sure. Dean's always talking about how much he loves her. Yeah. But then he's not acting like it. It's like, like how many times did I tell you to close the fucking gate? Like, yeah, that is like, <laughs> oh, it's such a good and thing to point and out. And Dean is it like the tragedy of it is that Dean is unaware that just saying it isn't good enough. Well, and there's a point, and then mad that she's not responding better. Yes, and and there's a point I actually want to make on this because one of the things I love about this movie it doesn't put blame I'd say on either character it's like obvious that the breakdown is from both sides it's yeah the the look is kind of objective in yeah, a sense yeah. that makes it much more tragic exactly, than exactly. This, is tra- is, this, is, this movie is a tragedy this is not a story of abuse this is no. a story of literally a relationship falling apart this could this this story could very easily be written by like Sophocles yeah, or something like this yeah. is a Greek tragedy written all over. It, exactly. And um, so, well, one of the things I, I point out is like for some reason, and we don't know what reason, but it's obvious that, that Cindy's gone cold, right? That she's no longer giving or distant, distant. There's not a lot of affection being displayed towards Dean. And I think the reaction that Dean then has to her that we're seeing in the present day, there's definitely an element of it that's reactionary towards that, right? Because there's that scene when they're, um, you know, maybe going to have sex and... Uh, in the present day or in the past? In the, in the present day. Right. And... Uh, in the future land? And then she's kind of like, <laughs> doesn't want to. And he's like, why are you doing this to me? Like, I, I, I'm good to you. Like, I deserve this affection. There's this idea in Dean's mind that uh, for some reason, and I think a big part of it is where she displays this whole statement of why aren't you doing your potential? Like, he's kind of let himself go. Dean isn't really smoking in the beginning, and then he's smoking all the time in the present day. Yeah. Like, there's a lot of things that Dean's doing. He's not taking care of himself the same way. Like, there he's are... He's drinking all the he's time. He's drinking all the time. He's smoking all the time. And obviously, these are things that would be unattractive to Cindy, I think, especially in the medical profession. Well, and just this just occurred to me right now. I think a major part of attraction, and not just, like, attraction, but sustainable attraction, is like loving what someone else is doing when it doesn't involve you at all, which is yeah. kind of what you talked about yeah, earlier. Exactly. Right? And yet everything like Dean is doing nothing anymore. Except while supposedly Cindy's, loving her yeah. and actually doing a good job with Frankie. Yeah. Like, yeah. Oh yeah. No, he's he's definitely not a zero in every category, right? <laughs> he's a great dad, but there seems to be an absence in Dean of a sustainable life or even like a couple hobbies that don't involve Cindy, right? Like, and and I think, you know, girls I've been with or attracted to, they've all had something really important to them that didn't involve me at all, that they were working at improving on or getting better at, that I could like almost just one thing of many that I was involved in many things. There were a few that I wasn't that I could like watch from a distance and just be kind of impressed mm-hmm. or like additionally attracted to that there's just this whole element to their personhood that is something to admire 
that doesn't involve me. And then, you know, I tried to be the same. Well, this <laughs> is where I'd thing. say Dean really screws up. Because what has she been passionate about since he met her? What is she passionate about her work? She's very yeah. passionate about, about the medical stuff. In fact, it's pretty devastating to her when she finds out that this doctor guy that she's kind of been befriending, it turns out he doesn't actually yeah, value her. Yeah, in the early in the movie, he's saying, hey, you're my best nurse. I want you to move to, I think it's Riverdale with me, to be in this new clinic. I really want you You'll there. be kind of the head nurse yeah. there. And she's kind of... Well, it's hard to say anyone is riding a high in this movie, but <laughs> but, but she's kind of riding a, a very mild high about this thought that this doctor is really impressed with her merit. Uh, you know, she's but, and she's it, a meritorious nurse that deserves this. And then, but later in the film, he's like, "Well, you know, you can have an apartment, save money. You, you, can sa- you can have an apartment. We could share an apartment, kind of thing." And it's just very clear that he's attracted to her and wants her to come so that they can maybe have an affair or something like that. Yeah. And this totally crushes her, you oh, know, and just yeah, devastates at her. a terrible time. And you know, the because the, the desire to be recognized on your merit for something you care about is a deep need. And and not only is uh, Dean not doing that to her. He's actively disparaging her work. Well, uh, yeah. So then with Dean doing that, which is so shitty, I think she maybe, maybe Cindy has placed a little bit of an unfounded faith in this doctor to be different. Yeah. And then when he's really not, like, oh, you are just another one of the men who wants the one thing that I, the one thing that men always want kind of yeah. thing, right? She's, like, I just think that that is like a final crush to her soul for, for sure. This and I want to go into that more in a second, but okay. I guess staying on Dean here, yeah. this is the, the great failing life failing, I would say of Dean, but we see evidence of it earlier in the movie. He's talking to, I don't remember the guy's name that he works with, but he's talking about love with this guy. Right. It's like his, in the past. Yeah. Past yeah Dean. In the past, Dean, these utopian ideas of, of love and love at first sight and what is love at first sight and that's that's a legitimate conversation he's having and but there's this struggle in Dean because he's like oh you know I think actually women are not the true romantics men are because you know women just settle for practical things like he has a good job and he, he says these things right yeah but I think the issue is that really the picture we get of Dean and the reality of Dean is that he's he is a hopeless romantic he thinks that the thing that's going to fulfill him is this relationship, is as a relationship with someone that he loves. Yeah, there's like a weird teleology at work. It, yeah, it's right. His, his his whole yeah, exactly. Everything that he's building his life around is that once I find love, that's going to satisfy. Well, yeah, and as a like a little tiny aside, I think that the teleological mindset is quite harmful to things that don't end (laughs) which you know 2019 uh, things haven't ended Mm. (laughs) you know what i mean for those of you who don't know teleology is just this idea from aristotle of uh everything has a purpose so everything is working towards that purpose like the flower wants to bloom right the uh the monkey wants to swing from the trees. Like it, it there's just like everything in nature is designed. <laughs> it's like purpose. It's, yeah. It's, there's it's, a purpose yeah. driven for everything. Single file. Like the purpose of the knife is to cut. That's why it's made. Right. And then, so this idea has obviously seeped into like human individual life where 
it seems like Dean feels like the purpose of everything he's doing now is focused on Cindy. And then once they're together, utopia, like you said, or just pure euphoria for the rest of your life. Well, I think that it's a nice idea. All the evidence is to the contrary. And exactly. you got to continue but, 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 but the sustainable way of living with someone. It's this prevalent lie that it's like, well, when you find the right one or you find love or you find these things that they're going to that it's going to fulfill you and it's going to build you and and i just think i mean i know so many people who believe that lie and live their life out according to that lie and then eventually they wake up one morning just like cindy and dean and they realize what am i doing and, and usually it seems to be that it's the woman who wakes up one day and she's like because Men, men can i don't know it's just it's a sad fact but like they they let they let themselves go they give up right they they found what they wanted um, yeah. they don't have to strive anymore and that's a really unattractive quality like it feels like dean has probably passively but that makes it even more kind of dangerous i guess dean has passively accepted the idea that he no longer has to woo Cindy, he no longer has to charm her. He no longer has to be... He doesn't have to keep making her fall in love with him. And he doesn't have to be his best self anymore, he seems to think, because she promised for better or for worse, right? And he's like, well, this is me at my worst. Yeah, But But he isn't taking responsibility for maintaining the kind of person that Cindy would, I think, would want to be with. Because there's this misconception about love. Right, this misconception that oh, love is unconditional. We're just gonna love each other forever. But you can't just give up on <laughs> yeah being well, a better person. Right now, we are uh, surrounding the bullseye of like my deepest and biggest takeaways from this story. <laughs> so maybe we'll get back to them in a bit <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> because I yeah, think they're still worth enough. talking about. But. Yeah. There are a couple other like scenes and stuff I wanted to bring up. I think one of the things that has made this whole scenario really – well, not I think. I know one of the things that made this really – is this whole Bobby Ontario character. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So early in the movie, in the present day, we see Cindy shopping. I think she's buying booze. She's in the yeah, liquor store. Yeah, before they store, go to right? the yeah. hotel. Yeah, yeah. so they're, they're, her and Dean are going to head out to this – have a romantic getaway at this hotel. Futureland, I think, or Tomorrowland. Yeah, Futureland. It's like – Or a, it's the future room, but there's also – yeah, it's – we don't know. Which I hotel. wonder if where the blue part of Blue Valentine came from, because a lot of the like aesthetic and filters seem to be kind of a bluey color in there. It's kind of cool. It's really, really well shot. Mm-hmm. Anyway, uh, Cindy's in this liquor store. She runs into this old flame, Bobby Ontario. They talk for a bit. They have like some. Fl- she's, uh, I don't know. Like she says, she's married. He he asks he, if she ever cheated. Yeah, yeah, Bobby Ontario. Like, right straight up. Yeah. Like, and you're like, yeah. who's this Bobby guy? So hopefully that doesn't totally undermine my previously mentioned direct approach. <laughs> <laughs> because that would be an example of a question I don't think would be appropriate in a direct approach. <laughs> so it has to be a little mystery, right? <laughs> yes. And so, you know, she's talking in the road, uh, on the road again. She's talking to Dean, mentions that she saw them, and like he's, more annoyed with this than you would expect a person to be and so but what we find out later is that bobby ontario like there's a scene 
early, still early in the movie, in the past, like past Dean, past Cindy. But it is after this scene because we don't know who yes. Bobby Ontario is. Yeah, we don't know who Bobby Ontario is, but Bobby Ontario was a former boyfriend of Cindy. Um, they have a sex scene together and he doesn't pull out. <laughs> yeah. And she's or, pretty pissed isn't off. Wearing about anything, this. Apparently. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So <laughs> miscommunication there, to say the least. And so she's super angry at him, which is why she seems more open to hanging out with Dean. But Bobby is this kind of just frat meathead shit bowl of a person. And he you know, he's the kind of he's the kind of stereotypical frat thoughtless know nothing that thinks that the appropriate response to him not being the one that his former girlfriend likes and the fact that she's interested in someone else the appropriate response to that scenario isn't you know self-reflection or maturity it's just to go beat the shit out of the new yeah right yeah so there's a scene where bobby ontario and a couple of his friends kind of gang beat dean beat the shit out of him like it's just it's in a scene full of in a movie full of scenes hard to watch this might be the hardest one like this scene where that these three guys beat up dean so there's that and on top of that he's Frank, he's, he's he's frank bobby ontario dad. is yeah exactly so dean is raising his daughter but it's not biologically his daughter plus with all this so later you're like getting all this context and so it made me wonder like maybe there's some guilt too for cindy like I think, cindy's probably carrying some guilt of what dean has gone through for her well i right? completely agree and actually i think that might be why maybe she hasn't challenged him as his lack of potential or yeah or, or really been pushing him but to it be goes better. to show the complicated nature of human connection and psychology because like obviously there's going to be the, these weird warring factions in cindy's mind of like well he's not the kind of creative musician that i remember but he did get the shit beat out of him and could have ran and stayed with me. And then when he found out that I was pregnant with somebody else's baby, he said he would raise it, you know, or he would do whatever I wanted kind of thing. And he has stuck to that. So that is intention with all of the things that aren't working. But don't you think in a sense, almost that could make someone um, bitter towards the other person too? Cause it's like, they feel like they owe love to this person because of their big selfless act. And yet they're, they're not feeling it or maybe they're not, you know, I think it's it, it, it it's almost putting her in a hostage situation, right? Where an emotional hostage situation where he's he's always got this trump card that he can play. Yeah, but I don't think he actually ever plays it, at least no. not in the movie. So I would say that's true if it, Dean emphasized it. And may, but maybe that's but, like just how she feels about it more than it. I don't think Dean is. I, I agree. I don't think Dean's doing that, but it might be how she's kind of feeling. Yeah, but I think that that act well. That's probably that's almost certainly true. But what I'm the way I'm interpreting that is then, okay, well, because like it's no one actively putting that on the table for them to talk about, it just adds to the complicated and complexity of how she's figuring out how she feels about Dean. Yeah. Right. Because yeah. well, because but- it is kind of always there. This really this couple of deep selfless things that Dean has done for her in the past. Well, and the interesting thing is when you see it in the past, you just see the adoration that she feels for him and just like like this overwhelming love that he's willing to do this. Like there's that scene where they're riding back on the bus and he says, let's do it. Let's be a family. And like 
this is her this is Michelle Williams being one of the greatest actresses in my opinion of, of her generation just she is able to convey so completely the quiet fiery thankfulness right that uh that someone would feel in a moment like that and and also just love like yeah. romantic love yeah and uh so it's so weird that she feels that in that moment but then but then uh, you know six years later the honeymoon period's over you're stuck with this guy and he's kind of a bum and he's an alcoholic bum i know but that's the heart of this thing and there's it made me think so there's that really i guess the like kind of negative climax of the movie is the scene in the doctor's office yes where dean wanders in super drunk and is demanding to talk to her this is after because cindy was on call she had to go back in to where they work but then she just kind of left him there with a note with a note (laughs) and he was pretty pissed about that because he didn't have a car or anything he had to like take a bus back or something and like there's just all of these terrible things that they say and do to each other and this is like to me this signifies the tragic end game of alcoholism and the sadness of it right and what's so interesting about cindy throughout most of the movie is her restraint i think i mentioned that before but like she's just always seems to be like telling her brain okay you want to react at a 10 out of 10 but I know what will happen if I do, so I'm going to give you a 3 out of 10 reply. It can come across a little distant, but I actually think she's doing it on purpose to not have a fight. Because she doesn't want him to go from 0 to 6 Yeah, to yeah, because yeah. Dean she can, does say that you always go to 0 to 100. Yeah, Dean yeah. can lose his shit right away, and then she even has a line for she says, it's earlier, I think it's actually maybe when she talks about potential, or it might have been a little bit where she says, I feel like I shouldn't have said anything. And it's like, I just made a note of like it's a better relationship if you can trust a reaction, right? And yeah. she and she knows she yeah. can't trust his reaction, so that's why she lets slip. I feel like I shouldn't have said anything, and like that. Well, that just on its own, again, as its own thing, is so indicative of something not working, right? Yeah. Where yeah, what could better constitute as part of a major part of the definition of a friend and a lover, where you can trust their reactions to things. Like, that's kind of what it is to be with someone where you can say or do something and you know them so well and you care about them so much that you know how they'll react. And even if they react in a way that it isn't what you would have expected, maybe the more overarching style of the reaction is in line with their personality or temperament that is part of why you trust them in the first place. And she has just kind of lost that, which is part of that line. But then she seems to be... Like, it's, it's in this scene in the doctor's office where they lose their shit on each other. Well, he's drunk and loses his shit, punches the doctor. And she said, like, this is the first time now in the present where she's, like, angry. Mm-hmm. She's so angry. And she says to him, I am so out of love with you. And then she says, I'm more man than you, you fucking cunt. And, it's like, so it's her first outburst of feeling. And it's like a double, it's, again, prob- I don't know if the storytellers intended it this way but it's kind of like a weird double negative catharsis of the end game of alcoholism and repression of right. your own feelings right because he's an alcoholic and yeah. that's what that's why is motivating is his yeah. negative output here but a lot of her negative output is because of her 
I don't know if it's repression or suppression. Uh, it's probably suppression. Suppression. Yeah, she's suppressing yeah. her she's emotions. Been, so she's been to... suppressing her emotions the whole movie that she just lashes out. And like this is devastating for her for Dean, but also it ends up being devastating for her. Like you can see the toll that her own outburst takes on her emotions. And I mean, at a trite level, it's like demonstrates the sadness of irresponsible usages of things both substance and conversation i guess yeah. <laughs> right yeah but that's like i just thought that was an interesting dual or parallel way to show them the the negative the really horrible end game of both of the ways that they, they were interacting yeah. well he uses a physical thing she's suppressing an emotional thing yeah, that's a really good point. And there's that. And then, you know, what's interesting is she says, I'm more man than you. And he immediately turns it into some victim thing where he's like, what does that even mean? What does it even mean to be a man? Like, he's not realizing what she's saying and he's playing the victim. And I think he feels victimized because he feels like she's pulling away and he doesn't seem to know why. But at the end of the day, she's pulling away because he's sunk into this alcoholic depression yeah where he doesn't care about things anymore he doesn't seem to the only thing he seems to care about is frankie and cindy and he feels like he's losing cindy and and i don't know whether he's fallen into this depression because he feels like he's losing her or the falling into the depression made her kind of pull away and then it like you're right that's the the horror of alcoholism right is that he's trying to deal with something that he's like obviously he's using alcohol to deal with whatever he's trying to deal with because I mean the problem is almost never just the alcohol it's what you're trying yeah. to cover up with the alcohol uh, and who knows what it is that he's covering up but the thing is what it actually ends up doing is make him more defensive less emotionally stable like you said I love what you said about the reactions right because she does say she says you always go from zero to to a hundred like and I never know when you're going to blow your top. And honestly, that's, uh, that is a form of abuse in a sense, right? Where it's like, it's, it's making them feel constantly like they're walking on eggshells. Yeah. I mean, like, it's just such a sad, sad thing to try to even unravel where maybe if Cindy is able to be a little bit more honest in the day to day and doesn't have to suppress and restrain. Like maybe, maybe if she's able, like maybe if she feels able to show a little bit more frustration and honest, like in your face annoyance to Dean at the beginning of the movie where he's just being a goofball with Frankie, where she's like, no, Hey, I need your help now. As opposed to just these kind of like passive aggressive side comments. There's one less moment of their day where she's suppressing a feeling. Well, and I just had an immediate thought. And how many other times did that happen? That, a part of that that is shown in the movie is how she was raised. Her father right. always yelling at her at her mother, and like the, that one really difficult scene to watch where he's like, "You expect me to eat this? You know this horrible food? Like, I've never experienced anything like that." But I can only right. imagine how being raised in a household where that kind of thing was happening. Or like if she had spoken out, then maybe she just be she, attacked. Yeah, yeah, and so she's. It's kind of like internalized and obviously uh, she does not have a good relationship with her dad like, well it seems even civil. when he tries to comfort her at the end there like she's like i don't want to talk to you about yeah this, i guess right? so yeah she's she's like um diplomatic with him yeah in the so, present I, day. so i think 
honestly a big part of maybe why she's always suppressing her emotions is because she's watched this lashing out of emotions right as she was growing yeah up. that's a good point and then so Almost certainly true so that could be like the you know the the the, the trauma that she experienced in her childhood because it doesn't look like it was dealt with and she couldn't be emotionally honest but mm-hmm. for whatever reason that hurt her marriage made her husband dean feel like right. he wasn't being loved well or... just more to me that's tr- so true and just more evidence for the this is a pure tragedy mm-hmm. because the tragedy is it's kind of nobody's fault like it's it is like you can at different layers of analysis you say well dean could have done this and this and this difference and he could have done this and this, and this. but like if their childhoods well because it doesn't sound like dean had a particularly nice childhood his mom either. just left his dad right? <laughs> yeah, right. which again is going to make you feel yeah. all kinds of things about love so there is relation the overarching oh my gosh we really came from tough homes so we have a lot of this like really deep darkness inside of us that might come out in negative ways and yeah i just think the evidence or, or the um I think the the end game of alcoholism is kind of obvious, and yeah. you see it. The end game of suppression is not as clear, but I think it's taking. You know, I don't even know how to how do you compare suppression to alcoholism, right? Like you can't. I just think it's a like a cognitive, like a, a trying to weigh it cognitively to be like, well, you know what? Like probably there is some sort of internal degradation that is very steep and maybe not totally dissimilar to alcoholism that suppression does to a person yeah you know because she is suppressing a lot of her feelings in this present day so it explodes so she says things that maybe she means mostly but not totally and maybe if she could have like given slightly more honest and though more barbed responses throughout the rest of the time she doesn't blow her top at the end and say things that just kind of put Dean over the edge. You know, it's like, I don't know. It's it's kind of a, again, like Chicken this. Chicken the egg kind well, of thing. Well, it, it's, just, it's just like they've let their, they've let their relationship atrophy to a state where they can only really get through to each other if they are at their cruelest to each other. Yeah. Like they've, yeah. they've let, um, they've let a sort of, malaise govern their like uh, this kind of this this going through the motions is their north star right now and because of that nothing gets through until it's cruelty right until it like breaks the the wall and they're suddenly like oh yeah like i can see their reaction until 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 they decide to go for the deepest embers of each other's heart and only then can they, <laughs> only then can they even like kind of get each other's attention yeah. in a way where they're or, or even, actually even in a positive way. Like, <laughs> yeah, because really, there's not a lot of positive attention that either gives the other, except for that moment at the end where they're hugging or whatever. Which is, um, again, like I think my my most prevalent insight of this movie is that this this is so what can happen if you don't have um, a kind of, what is it called in computer? Like a, you, you need a good ROM, which is 
you know, like your stored memory, but you need a good RAM too. You need a good like day-to-day memory, which in this case, I mean, it. you need a good sustainable day-to-day continual, like today I'm going to wake up and do f- try to do or say something that reminds my wife why she loves me, you know, mm-hmm. uh, or vice versa or my partner or something. But, but right? maybe it's not even, maybe it's not even about doing it to rem- to remind them why they love you, but to show them you love them. Yes. Right? Both ways. Uh, yeah, like, I think I completely agree. Like, relationships are hard work. Relationships take maintenance. I mean, in my own life, I've experienced when you don't maintain it, then, like, that's one of the yeah. hardest things you can ever go through. Well, and the, like, the gap between the past and the present in this movie, I just wrote down when you're watching all of these scenes from the past, right? Like the super hilarious joke, the molester joke that Cindy makes, (laughs) which is so dark, but so funny. And then I also just like, we don't have to talk about this today, but like the, it made me think of the, I'd love to talk sometime about the necessity of dark humor. Like what dark humor is doing for us. Because it's, it's great. But then just how in, like they're so so comfortable in their own skin and they're so good in the past like when they're courting and dating they're so good at riffing off each other and like going to the next spot based on what the person did so they're always like even in a moment growing together and doing more stuff and so when you see that when you see those scenes at the start just the joy and the happiness and the humor and the charm to what we see in the present day in the hotel and then in the doctor's office if I'm totally honest, I find it completely unbelievable that this relationship <laughs> oh, has deteriorated okay. to this level okay. without, like, it almost feels like something horrible must have happened as opposed to just, I think as an audience, what we're supposed to take away from this is that they have just stopped trying. They've stopped both of them. And Dean, I think, has Maybe more of the share of blame, if we're going to attribute blame. I think cer- Dean has certainly stopped trying at life. Yes. Like- Dean has stopped trying at life, but I think I think that, well, at least what we get is Cindy has stopped trying to draw it out of him as well. Yeah, I, and right? I think Cindy stopped trying for whatever reason, and I, I don't think we can really say why, because we don't know. Mm-hmm. But she, and I, but I think part of it might be even the communication style she learned from growing up. But like, she has stopped trying with dean what because dean's still trying with her you can tell that she doesn't seem to be trying with him to the to the same degree at all yeah uh and i think a lot of that is because she's just not attracted to what he's become as far as where you were saying that you find this i think i've seen this a lot sure of times. but but okay well i guess the only thing that i find unbelievable i don't find unbelievable that people can grow apart like that, no, 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 that, I that is manifestly believable. Yeah, yeah. What I find, maybe unbelievable is not right. What I find very surprising in a six year span <laughs> is that this level of antipathy could have grown between them, where there's just so much bickering and petty fighting and passive aggression and ignoring that all bubbles over into this just extreme, like almost hate for each other. But like, hate that stems from something that I don't relate to. And so I just, I was like, wow, like what happened in these intervening years that it has gotten this bad? And it's not that I don't think it can get that bad. I just was, 
um, because we don't get any of that middle. Yeah, we right? like, we're not given we're any given, context. Like the that, end yeah. is like, well, there's also that really important scene, which or like that meaningful scene where Cindy's going to have the abortion and then chooses not to, and that becomes Frankie, and just how like meaningful of the thing that must have been for her, and then they get married. And then Dean referencing the wedding vows, which I actually thought was an interesting throwback to tradition where it was like, well, you know what? We made these vows, so we should try harder. I was like, I agree with the sentiment, Dean. I think you should try. But I feel like how did this thought not occur to you like five years ago Yeah, (laughs) or four years ago when starting to get a little mad? So there must have been some pretty major things in there. Or some pretty major well, well, I, ignorances I, of each other. Yeah, or ignorances of life. Like having experienced not not at all to that level, but little things can become big things. And if little like that drip, drip, drip. There's a a great analogy of like the little things that bother you about another person can become acid on the rope of your relationship, just dripping away until suddenly there's there's no connection yeah. anymore. And I think a lot of what makes relationships work or makes them fail isn't, you know, a big bad thing happened. It's just lots of the little things. There's these things that you've been doing that, you know, I've taken offense to and, and, and and because you're in such an intimate relationship with the other person, those they're supposed to get you. Like if anyone gets you and, and you have these preconceived notions of how people are supposed to treat each other. And my theory is we have, we have a really big problem here. We have a, uh, a boy who became a man who was abandoned by his mother and left with his father and watched his mother just leave his dad because she met someone else. And so immediately there in this boy's mind, like women leave, right? That's just the conception that he has in his head. And so he probably that's an existential terror for him that she's going to stop loving him and leave. But when that is an existential terror for you, you're going to kind of live out that little death so many times and you're actually going to probably put yourself in a in a scenario where you're making that happen because you're being clingy because you're making that person your whole world because you're becoming unattractive because you're like you're there's nothing really attractive about someone just like doting on you and just wanting right. you and sacrificing everything for just yeah. you uh and then on the other side we have cindy who's who's repressing her emotions. And and so this repression of emotions is probably, I think this is my theory, perceived by Dean as distance. What are you thinking? What's going on in your head? He asks her that numerous times, right? It's like, what is going on? Like, it's because he's, you know, constantly pinging off his partner being like, I need affection. I need to know things are going well. Really? She's just keeping what she really thinks uh, suppressed because she knows it'll start a fight and she's also probably at the same time suppressing what she feels about the fact that if she says what she thinks, it'll start a fight. Yeah, <laughs> and, and she's used to men or the, like her one major male role model in her life is this man who just like treats her mom like dirt. So it might not even be that he always would start a fight, but that that's just her initial thought that that's what it's going to be. It's going to be a fight if I express any kind of uh, negativity or or do something negative like she's raised walking on eggshells so she just walks on eggshells around and that's mm-hmm. not what what um and we see the dean, consequences yeah. of this at the end of the movie and that's not what dean wants right. dean wants there's that moment where she's like okay let's have sex or whatever and 
He's like, I don't want your body. I want you. Yeah. Right? And I think that's a really profound moment in the movie. That's what Dean wants, and that's what he's not getting. Why is he not getting it? And I think he's not getting it because of all this past trauma that she's gone through, but also because he's stopped. He, he, he's taken his whole life and just focused it on her and Frankie. And, and he's, yeah, he's stopped doing and doing the things and being the way that, that brought Cindy out to play. Yeah. <laughs> if you pardon yeah. the Dr. Seussism organically, because what we see at the beginning when he's like playing the ukulele and being a silly singer and all the things that he does to charm her, they bring her personal, they bring the things that he does brings her personality out because it, her personality wants to come out or it's just, it feels like that's the right response. Right. And something has happened that he has stopped doing and being that exactly for her. exactly and and now he's he just doesn't his... know why so he's again like this lost little boy in the desert where he's just like he it's almost like he has these mirages all around him of an oasis that he keeps running to and can't get to and doesn't know why and his only response is to just drink more alcohol and swear and like retreat to the person in his family who can't manipulate him because she's six and just actually really enjoys him you know which again is part more of the tragedy and the complexity and just well-written characters where they're so flawed and yet they have these really great things about them as well because that's kind of what it is to be a person (laughs) you know (laughs) exactly exactly and um so i'll let you have the last thought on this yeah like i think the thing about this movie that that really impacted me the first time i watched it and and has even impacted me even more the second time i watched it is the importance of dealing with baggage that you come into a relationship with mm-hmm. and maybe being honest with yourself about preconceived notions you have of what a relationship should be and at very least expressing them, but probably more realistically getting rid of some of the delusions you have of, of what it means to be with another person. As you said, that's what it means to be human, to be flawed, to have these good things about you and these negative things about you. Mm-hmm. And because going back to... The, I, I th- I think the the impact that this movie had on me was because you, when you watch Dean, he's a hopeless romantic, and his hopeless romanticism destroys him. Now, what is his hopeless romanticism born out of? That I I don't think we can fully speculate on, but I think a big part of it is watching his parents' marriage fall apart, and then the way that the stories and the media portrays love. I think he he mentions that as well, and I think to rid yourself of that delusion that love will be the answer, that love will be the thing that gives you meaning is one of the only ways you're ever going to truly have a meaningful and fruitful relationship. Because at the end of the day, you're not, they're not fulfilling you. That's not the point. It's to make you, you better, right? By, by being less selfish, by, Mm -hmm. by, by putting more of yourself into someone, by loving the really loving someone, is not saying I love you or, you know, making these gigantic sacrifices. It's the day-to-day yeah. loving. Oh, they need help with this. Right. Yeah. I think that's exactly what I think too. And it's interesting. One of the reasons it's fun to do this podcast with you is because you kind of see things a little differently too. Like, cause I, I didn't even think about their trauma coming in from their own parents 
that like I obviously like remember it from the movie and it was meaningful in the plot but it's just not what struck me about the story that I was worth writing down so I'm glad it you were able to be reminded of it because yeah of course that would be like your mom leaves you and your dad is an asshole like for Dean and Cindy respectively they're like yeah that will affect how you view relationships as you grow you know yeah which is again this just occurs to me again now how that is so that's what makes Cindy what Cindy says so impactful at the end is like I don't want Frankie growing up in I don't want our daughter growing up in a house where their parents treat each other like this probably because now she's reaching back to the way her dad was right but i think it definitely in consonance with your last little bit of what you were saying there uh, my final thought from this story is how like the tragic way that the halcyon nature of the start of a relationship fades and atrophizes if you don't do a little bit every day to keep that love alive uh, seeing a problem coming on the horizon and taking care of it before it even comes to your partner's attention. And so they don't even have to deal with it. Yeah. Like that's just a yeah. little thing that builds love every day. Paying it like knowing, paying attention to the tenor and tone of the way your partner's talking about something that's coming up in their life that maybe they're not like ostensibly making a big deal about it, but you can tell by the way they're talking about it, it's something important to them. So that's like something you actually keep asking them about because it's clear to you that this is something that they're hinting at that's important to you. And then they notice that. And that like is a little thing that keeps love alive. Remembering their family members' birthdays and saying, how are they doing? Or, you know, can I say hi? Or send them an email, right? Ad infinitum. <laughs> like, yeah. These are, yeah. like we could go on and on and on. Just saying, hey, you look nice today. Or I'm excited to play Frisbee with you tonight. Like I'm looking forward to that. And I just get the impression... <laughs> understated as this is that uh these are just the things that dean and cindy didn't do for each other yeah and and maybe so, didn't know how maybe that's and, the tragedy and because they live it day to day they don't have the same perspective of why it's this bad six years later as we do as the audience because it's right it's like well it's like a before and after picture yeah right like you you see them like it's so stark for us as the audience of this movie the difference is so stark from the beginning of the relationship to how it is contemporarily whereas for them because it's just so incremental you don't see where it went wrong yeah. right because it's yeah. gone wrong in a million different places very minutely and i think that is the like deep thought of this movie <laughs> is you actually and not just as dean would say it can't just be words right like just really really doing the hard work and there's nothing else to it it's just the hard work of loving someone and i think why it's hard at least my i would postulate that why it's hard is because we as we've talked about before our default setting is so insular so selfish that we're that actually looking out into the world and and noticing these things and not just noticing because they're almost always subtle Right, noticing the things that our partner cares about, noticing the things that our partner's interested in, and glorying in our partner's successes, and then and and mourning with them and their failures or, or grief. One of the best things, in my opinion, about a good friendship is when your friend succeeds at something and you get to be like, "Man, you're rocking it! Like you 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 killed well it done. there!" Yeah, um, and 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 being genuinely happy for them. And I think in a relationship that that's also key and. 
it doesn't matter if that thing is valuable to you on a on a personal level if it's valuable to them i think you need to make it valuable to you mm-hmm. and, and not criticize it or critique it like dean does about her career right like oh the only thing you seem to care about is your job he should be like i'm glad you care about your job i want you to succeed yeah i mean that's that's definitely true i guess in a way i'm saying it's even worse than that <laughs> like their problem isn't no. even oh no i, I isn't agree. even just that like he's not he's not just not good on the big things he's he's not even good on the like barely perceptible things, right? Yeah. So like he yes. can't even get things like, "Hey, I'm sorry, our dog died. I know what that dog meant to you, and I know what it meant to me, and I just want to take this moment to comfort you in this." Like he can't even get that. Or right. there's that scene where like, <laughs> like that is like, <laughs> how could you not get that part right? <laughs> or or there's the scene where uh, she puts her hand over on his during the whole Bobby Ontario thing. Yeah. And he pulls his hand away. Yeah. Right, like he's taking his affection away because she's finally, ostensibly giving him what he wants, mm-hmm. but like he's taking. But it it's away in the context of Bobby Ontario, yeah, so and like, so he's got all of that trauma too. So it's just so messy. Well, I mean, it's a messy movie. Yeah, <laughs> that would be a good way to put it. That is, that's a great way to put it. But again, like just as a a little like, parting advice to Dean, <laughs> <laughs> and maybe to ourselves. Yeah. I always it's a good it's a good reflection. It probably won't surprise you to know I have another Emersonian ah, <laughs> insight. Good, to this. I like Emerson. So. Um, but it's not it's not anything new. But he just writes in his poetic and flowery manner. What you do speaks so loud, I can't hear what you say. Yeah, and yeah, Dean thinks the opposite. Yep. If he says I love you enough, that's more important than any deed or action or lived. Uh, manifestation of that and it's not and that and that maybe that's the deepest tragedy of this movie is that you know his own self-delusion yep yeah and yet just to like you know put a bow on this he leaves because cindy has asked him to leave at the end of the movie but she has left the door open a crack for them to get back together if he can change you know so it's kind of like his last chance, and we don't know where it goes. And I like, I mean, that's kind of interesting that it's not so yeah, clear just, at the end. Yeah, I guess you have to have a little bit of hope, or it'd just be a full <laughs> yeah, on tragedy. I guess so. So anyway, this has been another episode of Really True Fiction. I'm Luke Mason, and I'm David Parker, and uh, we're hoping you all have a whatever color Valentine is best for you. <laughs> <laughs> red guys, red. <laughs> I'd say green. Green? Well, green Valentine. I just, it's my favorite color. Okay, fair enough. (laughs) See you later. (laughs) Bye.